give definite guidelines. You should do this, you should not do that. And uh, we have such rules in Buddhism. We have such guidelines. But in the end, nothing is black and white. Life is much more complicated than uh, what can be covered by a few simple rules. And life is a continuously unfolding process. Each situation, each moment is new and unique. Each moment of experience is unique, different from every other moment, different from every other situation. This you can appreciate if you just observe yourself, observe what you're experiencing now. So that in order to really respond to life, you must always be awake to the now, to this unique situation and the quality that enables you to be sensitive to the present. This situation is the quality of mindfulness, wakefulness, awareness, presence of mind, that quality of knowing this now. What is the quality of now? What is the quality of this situation? so that then we can assess and make decision on how to respond using the wisdom that we have. How many times have we heard, uh, and all done it ourselves, heard others do it, where we, we anticipate, we plan you know, what I'm going to do tonight. When so-and-so comes here, then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to say that, and he's going to say that, and I'm going to reply like this. So you plan it all out. And these classic, classic uh, plans of um, achieving something. But then the reality is not like that at all, is it? Maybe the person doesn't even come. Or they come and they're in, in something completely unexpected has happened so that you have to respond in a very different way. So the only quality that I can encourage is this quality of awareness, mindfulness, which enables us to be sensitive to this situation, this present time. It's not as if we uh, dismiss experience, dismiss the past. It's not like, oh, I don't remember anything about anyone. I don't remember anything about myself. You're all new people to me. Of course we remember from the past. We remember our experiences, remember what happened last time, remember what we did, remember... Like we, from these experiences of the past, we derive a certain amount of wisdom, you can say. If we consider carefully, we become more wise in understanding the relationship between cause and action. And so now if we, using that material, that experience from the past, the wisdom from the past, that which we can remember from the past, we can use it. We can make use of it, but we can't just try to recreate the past and apply some fixed formula from the past to this reality in the present because this reality, this situation, this time you now, 
this person now is unique, it's different from the past. So you can't just uh, overlay something from the past on it. If you do, what what often results is uh, inappropriate response. Inappropriate response. And quite often we uh, create problems in that way. We are not really sensitive. When you meet someone, you're not seeing the person how they are now. All you're seeing is some from the past, the memory of what they were like yesterday, what they were uh, like uh, a week ago, and what they did then. But you're not sensitive to the fact that right now they may be quite different. Something quite different may have happened. This is, uh, this is why many times we do things which are very inappropriate and hurt other people's feelings or do things which are, you know, quite unintentionally, uh, you know, being quite hurtful, insensitive. So that uh, you go home at night after a day at work, and you're still living in your own world, all you have, you know, you go home, the only thing you have, you don't see your wife, if you, or you don't see your husband, all you see is the memory of what you left there this morning. So you, that's all you see. You, you think your wife or your husband has been just like that all day because you have no experience. From that, you, you, your experience is subjective of what you've lived through one day. So you go there and you, you just see them, you know, if you left your wife in a happy mood this morning or you left your husband in a happy mood this morning, you go there and you just, uh, more often than not, have this perception that everything is all right. And may be quite insensitive that maybe that something has happened during the day and they are not happy. They may be quite in a different mood. And may require quite a different... Uh, you must be able to see a person now, this mood now, this situation now, and not just the past. And this is true of uh, relationships. Otherwise, you have the war of the worlds. You live in your own subjective world of just what you're feeling like, what you've experienced, and you're not aware of the other person. You're not really sensitive to the other person. You're just relating on memory. You're relating on something from past perceptions, assumptions. Now, the, the same is equally true what I often explain in meditation, for instance. Exactly the same attitude. You sit, we sit meditation, and you sit there, and well, last time, you know, that's all you sit here, you concentrate on the breath, just like I did every other time. And you can be very unaware, very unaware of your present state. You may be feeling, you, you, you may have had a very hard, long day, your energy level is very low, your mind is very dull or tired, and you think you're just going to sit there and, and concentrate on the breathing. And very unaware of your present state, because you're just going on some past assumption from the past. The last time you sat meditation, all you did, you sit down, concentrate on the breath, and it was all right. But this time you're tired. This time you don't have any energy. This time the mind is dull. So you sit there and the mind just sinks into dullness. And you won't even know it, let alone be able to respond. 
because you're not sensitive to yourself right now, the state of the body and the state of the mind. Meditation cannot be approached mechanically, cannot be approached in some sort of uh, rigid formula. Sit down, put your attention on the tip of the nose, concentrate on the breath and that's it. Uh, it requires awareness, mindfulness. What is the state of the mind? What is the state of the body? Does it need to be energized? Does it need to be relaxed? Does it need time to calm down? Uh, how will I bring the mind around to a calm state? And as you're making that effort, then what's happening as you make that effort? Is it working? What, what is the result of the effort? So there's continuous sensitivity, a continuous mindfulness, a continuous awareness of the present, unique moment so that then you can respond, continually respond, using your experience from the past, which we call wisdom, the wisdom that you have, whether we're relating with another human being, whether we're uh, trying to do something like meditation, whether we're trying to do a particular task, whether you're trying to you know, play a game of chess, you can learn all the rules about chess, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to play a game of chess properly. To play a game of chess properly, you've got to realize that each one of these games is quite unique, and each one evolves. It just evolves, so you've got to be able to respond. It's no good thinking up uh, you know, plans so much. Of course, there are plans that you can use. It's like, if that happens, this is maybe appropriate, but each one of the games are a little bit different. So you've always got to be aware of this situation. It's like, do you, you drive from work, uh, some of you drive from work to home, home to work, every day, every day. And you think you're driving along the same road every day, the same drive every day. But that would be a deadly miscalculation on your part, wouldn't it? And sometimes it is. That's when people have most accidents, when they're driving in their familiar ground. Because they assume, oh, I know this road. I've driven along this road a hundred times, I know. I could drive blindfolded. So they close their eyes, go to sleep, or look around, <laughs> listen to the radio. And of course the road is not the same road. It's unique, isn't it? Each time you drive, it's something different. And a number of cars on the road, people on the road, weather condition, who knows? I mean, so many uncertainties. It's not the same road. It's not the same drive. It's never the same drive. Even if you drive it every day, seven days a week, it's never going to be the same drive. So, how are you going to teach somebody how to drive from home to work, work to home? Well, just steer the car in that direction, northeast, and go straight. No. Be mindful. Respond to the situation. It's unique. The only way you can drive safely, properly, appropriately, is to be mindful. As if it's it's like a new, it's the first time that you're driving along this road. Of course you remember, from the past you can have certain memories that actually can help you in the present. But only if you are mindful that this is a unique occasion unique time, unique drive, unique road, this time, not last time. We may remember 
Ah, now there's going to be a sharp corner coming up. I have to mm, decelerate. That's quite good, isn't it? But you can so you you're applying something, some memory from the past, and you're using it to to respond. But it's not like, uh, oh well, I've driven around this corner a hundred times. There's never been anybody on the other side. I'll just go right through. You go right, and this time there is somebody. <laughs> so you've got to be prepared that around that corner there may be somebody, even though in a hundred times that you've been around there, there was never anybody walking across the road. This time there may well be. There may well be. So this is the only thing that can enable us to really deal with life appropriately, respond to life appropriately, is to be aware, is to be really mindful of this unique occasion, unique situation, unique present moment. When we are mindful, then we can apply the wisdom from the past, but not as uh, assumption, not as some sort of um, overlay, which is in fact making us insensitive to the moment. And we're assuming that it's going to be the same as it was yesterday, the same as it was last year. Uh, it's going to be, oh yes, I know what that person is like, I know him really well, I'm sure. But they're going to be quite different today. Very different. So this is being sensitive. We use the experience from the past in order to help us de- make decisions. But first of all, we have to be sensitive to the present moment. Now, with regard to all, all, all things, all experiences, uh, how do we respond? For instance, the question this evening was, uh, is it, does a Buddhist always have to respond in a very gentle and soft way? Or is it appropriate for a Buddhist to respond in a firm and even hard and... Um, strong way well this is for you to use mindfulness in that situation mindfulness just like when you're concentrating on the breathing are you supposed to always just relax just relax into the breath just make yourself calm and peaceful and soft and relax and relax is that the right approach that a Buddhist should use in meditation well sometimes it is but not all the time is it Sometimes you have to arouse yourself, you have to push the mind, you have to arouse energy in the mind. Sometimes you even have to struggle with the mind. Yes, that's quite appropriate sometimes. When your mind is dull and sleepy, it's no point sitting there trying to relax. You're too relaxed. Mm-hmm. You're too dopey and sleepy. It's the time to rouse yourself, you know. Put, hold your back erect. Put some strength in your body. Push the mind into a state of brightness. It requires a bit of force, doesn't it? What tells you that? Mindfulness and wisdom. Mindfulness and wisdom. In the same way, how do we deal with the situation? Should we always be accommodating? You know, people sort of, should we always be responding gently? Well, that depends so much on the situation, so much on the person. We have the general principle, of course, well, the general principle is that we try to develop right action and right speech, which means our intention is not to harm, not to hurt ourselves or others. And note that it means not to hurt ourselves either, which, um, which, which means that 
we don't allow ourselves to be exploited. Right? We don't actually don't allow to ourselves to be exploited, to be hurt. That's being kind to yourself. You're not being kind to yourself if you allow other people to just take advantage and exploit you. In actual fact, you're not even being kind to them because you're just uh, you're facilitating uh, a very sort of what we call bad karma or bad sort of habit patterns in that person. So that may not be the, the, the right thing to do at all, not the kind thing to do at all. So our intention is not to do anything that is harmful to ourselves, not to do anything that is harmful to others. To develop right action, which means not to, you know, not to physically kill, not to hurt, not to uh, steal, so not to commit adultery, these sort of things, and, and uh, to avoid harsh speech, lying, cruel speech, abusive speech, divisive speech. Yes, we we have that intention. But then, can we say that it is going to be always, absolutely, 100% wrong to lie? Can you say that? It's very hard to say that, I think. Because life, as I said, is continually unfolding and unique and it's much more complicated than just black and white, most of it. So one would have to consider the situation. Sometimes it's a choice between two bad choices. Either one is bad. So then you have to decide. And it's the intention that is the most important thing. But also have the wisdom or use all the wisdom that you have to try and make the best decision, best decision possible, responding to this situation, this occasion. So that with mindfulness and wisdom you may find a way to respond, which may, well, you don't know exactly. But... Uh, the mindfulness and wisdom will make it the best response possible. So that to apply these principles, we, we always must have mindfulness and wisdom. Otherwise, even our, act, our action won't be really appropriate for the time and place. As, um, for instance, with children is a very good example. Raising children... You know, you, you just go around speaking very gently and very softly to children. And uh, I think some of the children that I've seen raised by Buddhist people would be some of the worst behaved children I've seen. And I really think that sometimes the theory gets in the way of some very basic uh, <coughs> pragmatic consideration with regards to raising children. Because one of the duties of the parents is to train children, to, to shape their character, to shape their, uh, their minds. It's one of your, it's not to indoctrinate them, but it is the parents' responsibility to bring up their children with certain values. Yes, it's important. I disagree that all the parents have to do is to let the child develop its own individuality. Mm, so the parents are just Bob and Jan, 
co-habiting in that same house, but they're not there to teach any, the child anything. The child is an individual. That, I, I find that is uh, quite unnatural, actually. The role of the parents is very special. They are to instill certain values, certain qualities uh, of life into the child. And to do that, they have to educate. And that is a process of education. Which means communi- communication, which means giving feedback. Now, when a child is two or, say, two or three years old, especially under three, their powers of reason, their power of intellectually understanding logic is very, very limited. You can sit down there with a two-year-old child and try to explain something, and they just, most times they can't comprehend. Uh, So the power of reason and logic is not able to comprehend some of these uh, reasons. And so, sometimes they do need some feedback which uh, tells them something is wrong, it's not good. And that may require sometimes to raise your voice. Yes. They have to, you have to communicate, you have to teach. So it may be appropriate to have a firm reaction, a firm response to that time, to that place, and not just uh, pussyfoot around, sort of uh, timid response. Sometimes you have to make it very clear that is not appropriate. That is not appropriate for uh, a child to do. And so the child then learns values, learns how to be actually more sensitive, because they, have to in, you know, usually we, they, children are not too sensitive to other people's feelings. That's why children can, you know, if there was somebody brought a child here tonight, they right now they could just be jumping about and screaming and, you know, throwing a, a tantrum. They don't care about other people really. Were very self-centered little children. They have to be in order to survive. Like a baby is completely self-centered, and they'll remain self-centered unless they're kind of gradually taught to consider time and place and situation. This is something that is taught, has to be taught by parents and the society. And to teach, yes, sometimes you have to be firm. You have to not just give in, not too gentle. Sometimes you have to be firm, and certainly with speech. It doesn't mean harsh and brutal. It means firm and strength and clear cut, giving clear feedback. And uh, of course, this is also true in other situations, uh, you know, in, in in business or in um, relationships. Sometimes, yes, it may be necessary for you to take a very firm, very strong stand, and you can do so. Uh, without resorting to hatred, without resorting to harsh and abusive speech, without uh, resorting to physical aggression, without resorting to uh, just some foolish, heedless reaction. One can be quite strong when one is mindful and wise. Actually, one can be powerful. When one, the most powerful being is the being who is in complete control. 
most powerful being is a being who is in control of oneself. There's um, very taking this to an extreme just to illustrate it. I'm not recommending this, but there's um, this story I heard on one occasion. There, there was uh, war in one part of Japan, and the conquering army came into the town, and they set up um, they set up camp in the local temple, the local monastery of this town. And of course, everybody had run away, and you know, all the people, these conquering samurais, came into the town. They just devastated the the uh, defending forces. And so then uh, they'd given order to, you know, get rid of everybody from the temple because uh, the the uh, soldiers are going to take control of that and uh, set up camp there. And uh, so then the, this the general was there head man with his attendants and they saw this monk walking across and uh, they called him over and he just walked over and um, the, the general stared at him you know, because he was not supposed to be there this monk and the general looked at him and said do you know that I am one who could run you through with this sword without flinching without even blinking an eyelid and the monk looked at him and said, And do you know that I am one who could let you run me through with a sword without <laughs> blinking an eyelid? <laughs> now that is, uh, who's, he <laughs> who's got power? Uh, who's got power there? But you know, that's uh, obviously quite an extreme degree, what we're talking, we're not talking about that degree usually for most of us but really if you want to have power in any situation in the sense of being able to respond in a powerful effective way then the best thing you can do is remain in control meaning being mindful so that you can apply the wisdom that you have I was just saying this the other evening that if you're in a debate what is one of the tricks of debate, if you want to win a debate easily, is to just get the person a little bit flustered. As soon as they get flustered and start reacting emotionally, that's it, they've lost the debate. Because they can't reason anymore, they can't think clearly. Because they are sort of getting either a bit agitated, angry, resentful, or something, you know, that's, that means they've lost their degree of clarity. Uh, mindfulness and the ability to to apply wisdom and so if we uh, you know, we want to res we think we have to respond forcefully at times in order to make ourselves clear uh, or make our point clear and come across uh, yes that that may be appropriate and necessary certainly I don't think you should be walking around being jellyfish and because you're a Buddhist that you're just uh, like a jellyfish and people can just rip you off and take advantage of you and walk all over you I would think that would be somehow inappropriate for a Buddhist because a Buddhist has to also look after oneself look after others, look after oneself and so one can uh, with mindfulness, with this quality of mindfulness and the wisdom that we have, assess a situation 
when you're mindful, that means you are sensitive to this situation. What is the thing, what is the proper response in this situation? Being sensitive to this person, to this place, to this time, to yourself, with the sole resource of wisdom that you have. What is the best response? And then you make your decision. Sometimes the best response is a passive one, letting things slide, a gentle response. Sometimes that is very, very, in itself it can be very powerful too. And so we, some, we, most of us don't have enough confidence in that choice because we're so brought up in the, with the competitive, you know, we've got to push our way through. Uh, it's a very competitive attitude. And um, the idea of a, a more soft approach that something gentle could actually have power is not so appreciated by most of us. But the example I give of that, sometimes a passive, uh, the passive response can be a very powerful one and very effective one is if you walk into a, a room of very agitated, noisy, screaming, arguing group of people and uh, you want to have a bit of quiet. Now, unless you've got a very, very loud voice, <laughs> you're not going to achieve anything by starting to shout, be quiet, you lot of good-for-nothing slobs, shut up. Because you're just another, another uh, shout in that room, another source of loud noise, arguing and abusing in that room. No one will even notice you. Unless, as I said, you've got a very, very loud noise and maybe you're six foot six and all sorts of things which make you obviously noticed. But, say you're just an ordinary bloke with a soft voice anyway, what are you going to do? What about if you just go there and sit quietly? And you just go in and sit quietly. Just sit quietly, just sit still, completely passive. It's possible, you know, that maybe the next guy around looks your way and, and he sees you there and he's reminded, he hears his noise because he, see, he sees somebody quiet. Then he can hear his noise, the noise that he's making. And he becomes aware of the, the, the unpleasantness of the situation. So maybe he stops also. He becomes quiet. And this chain reaction takes place so that the room can become very quiet with you having acted in a very passive way, very gentle way, but very powerful way. Now that is possible. That is possible sometimes with a gentle response to a heated and uh, aggressive situation, you may diffuse that situation. It works sometimes. It really works. We don't have much confidence in this approach, but it really does. And it is very appropriate at certain times. Because if you, if you get caught into that aggressiveness, into that challenging, then it's a loggerhead and you, you have to slug it out for quite a while. But if you just don't get caught and you just don't respond like that, you're just peaceful and gentle. The other person, assuming that the other person is just an ordinary person, quite often they become aware of their aggression. They become aware of their 
the intense emotion, they become aware of their irritation. And most ordinary people, well, that's not very nice. And there's no reason for it in this situation. I'm not really being threatened. So they calm down, they quieten down. They become more reasonable, more amenable. I mean, we've all experienced this. So that through mindfulness and awareness and you're in control, sometimes a gentle approach is actually very powerful. It can be very useful, just that much, to, to remove the, uh, the aggression, to remove the intensity of emotion there. And this we should try more often, have a bit more trust in this approach. But certainly, I'm, I will agree that there are times and places and people with whom this approach is not appropriate. It's just not very appropriate. As I said, just like little children, sometimes some people are completely insensitive and unreasonable, all selfish and uh, even cruel. Then you may have to respond in a different way. You may have to respond in a more firm way. You may have to be actually very firm. You may even have to raise your voice. <laughs> you may have to stand your ground. And that can also be done with mindfulness and will be done with wisdom. But the thing is to be in control, not to actually lose control by getting caught in an emotional reaction you, if you're going to respond in a firm and strong way, then you still have to be in control, which means you still have to be mindful and aware and wise. And you can make a very strong response if it is necessary. One of the ones that I... Um, I have mentioned on a previous occasion, I don't think I've mentioned it here, it was very interesting, because um, Ajahn Brahm, some of it, he was here last year, he's, uh, he's got this reputation of being a very gentle, gentle and compassionate, loving, soft-spoken bhikkhu. But of course he's not, uh, he's not a jelly bean, and mm -hmm. he's not a little... Um, he can be quite he can be quite strong and powerful as well when it's a matter of what is right and wrong. And I remember on one occasion I wasn't uh, he insisted we go to this factory uh, because we had ordered this uh, wrought iron gate to be made for the entranceway to the monastery. And uh, you know we we really we try to do the right thing by people. Uh, like we, we try to be upfront and, and fair and, and we don't in our dealings with uh, either tradesmen or council or anybody. I think it, like for me that is very important because otherwise we do not do justice to Buddhism and uh, I, I'm very concerned with doing justice to this wonderful religion and wonderful teaching and especially as monks. So we try to be very you know, fair and upfront. And when I went to order this gate, uh, I got two quotes for this gate. I designed the gate and I got these two quotes. And one of these men, uh, this is an Indian uh, brother, uh, two brothers, Indian chaps, they came and they, they said, oh, 
that other quote, yeah, I know what they'll do. They're just, you know, yeah, they'll charge you less, but you won't get a good job. <coughs> no, we charge a bit more, but we do a good job. You know, we we really do a good, solid job. And he, and I took him on his word. You see, <laughs> I'm okay. We're willing to pay more because we want a good job. We want a good gate. It's important. So yeah, we'll take your quote because yeah, we do want a, a good job. We don't want just a sloppy one. And we've got a deadline now. There's a you know we gave him a lot of time. Can you finish it by that deadline because it's the a big opening ceremony and we want to get up. Oh no, worries. That's age. Oh, be up long before then. So fine, we give him a deposit and uh, no wait. We wait for two weeks, three weeks, a month. In front of him, he said, um, "How's it coming along?" Oh no, worries. He'll be there. <laughs> and uh, now then. And this kept on going, no worries, it'll be there. Until, I think the day before or something, and then they said, oh, no, we can't. Um, no. You know, we did try and put it in, they have to bake it to, to bake on the paint. But the uh, the baking room or whatever it was collapsed. <laughs> the gate's so big and heavy, you know. This is a big factory, this gate is not that big. <laughs> I held this tall story. But we'll send it out there to put it up, just in its present state, just so you'll have it, and then we'll take it down again. This sort of thing. And they brought this thing, and it was very different to the design. <laughs> you know, I said, no, take it away. <laughs> we don't want it. So then uh, I got quite uh, fed up, and I was a bit sick, and I just didn't really have the energy for this sort of thing. And I was just willing to let it, I oh, forget it, I don't want to know anything. <laughs> Ajahn Brahm said, oh no, we must, you know, we must go and have a, you know, so I, we, I went along, I was going to Perth anyway, so he came in the car, and I, yeah, just, he, he, uh, he was, said he's going to speak to them, and it was really interesting to watch this, because I was just in the background, I just didn't want to know about this thing, and he went there, and this guy is starting this great spiel about why it wasn't the way it was designed, because it couldn't be done that way, and it had to be done this other way. And, and uh, Ajahn Brahm eventually just, uh, he could, you know, eventually saw that this guy was just a shark. He was just, you know, just ripping us off. And he just said, well, <laughs> that's it. He looked at me and he said, well, you know, let's, uh, either we get our... Uh, deposit back, or they keep it. But we're not taking this game. <laughs> you know, we don't want this game, right? No, no, we don't want that. <laughs> and he said, "Now, if, we, if you want us to pay for this game, you've got to take all these pieces off and redo it exactly as it was meant to be done, and bring it to the monastery and put it up. Otherwise, we don't want to hear about it." And he didn't say it so gently either. <laughs> and uh, you know, this guy got really upset. Very upset, but he couldn't do anything. He was obviously in the wrong. He had uh, broken his contract, he had broken his word, he had done everything wrong. Now, to be a Buddhist doesn't mean we just go there and give him the rest of the money, you know, quite a lot of money, write out the cheque and say thank you, and walk <laughs> away with this, uh, you know, is that good? And if the person is just not honest, he's not. You, you try to reason with him and be, you know, kind of, you, you try the best. But he's obviously not responding. He's one of these, you know, he's really out to rip people off. Okay, well then maybe you have to do something 
a lot more. You know, like you, like a little child that does not respond to reason and logic and fairness, then you've just got to make yourself heard. It doesn't mean you have to become aggressive and angry and abusive and cheat and and also no, you just you take a very firm stand and uh, stand your ground, and uh, uh, that can be appropriate, can be very right in many occasions to do that. So that um, this way we do, you know, we, have, we look after ourselves, we look after our families, and we also help to look after the other person. At least that person maybe next time will try and be a bit better than that. Afterwards, he did deliver this, uh, he did deliver the gate, he had redone it, and uh, I'm sure it was a lot of... Uh, you know, problems to redo it. He did redo it and they did put it up and um, it still wasn't exactly right. And so again, I, I didn't want to, uh, you know, what, it was too late, what else can you do? Once it gets to that stage then you just, there's a time now to also say, well, it's just a bad situation and uh, you know, what are you going to do? So I sent him a check or I had a set ch uh, check sent to him, but I also sent an accompanying letter, really saying, you know, this has been um, very disappointing after what your brother promised us, because these were two brothers, as to what he would do and what has eventuated. It would certainly uh, put me in a position never to do business with your company ever again. And I just hope that uh, in future transactions you can be a little bit more honest and, uh, and reliable. I really and say I never got a reply, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <coughs> so that one can be. It's not as if we have to be helpless victims and be exploited. But it's the important thing is to know what the situation is, which means you have to be mindful. You have to be really mindful. Of course, we have our principles, our guidelines. But we also must have the wisdom to know that this time, this place requires an appropriate response because this time, this place is unique. Now there are many occasions like this in life. There are many, many occasions. And um, of course you, you, will have to, uh, you will have to use your mindfulness and your wisdom to decide. Don't just take rules. I mean, I'm not talking, there are there are obviously things that are wrong. I mean, I'm not saying, well, is it really appropriate to kill this this guy? He's a bit of a nasty anyway. He needs to be taught a lesson. No, don't take it to those extremes. Most times, it's probably quite clear-cut. In these other times, when it's a bit grey, then you, you really have to be very careful and use the wisdom you have. And try to explore the various ways of responding that may be appropriate. And try to have trust in the gentle way. Because as I say, the gentle way can be a very powerful way as well. And quite often it does, it does have its effect. Another occasion was in uh, America in the time of the Vietnamese War. When the Vietnamese monk, who is still alive today and uh, quite famous, Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh, who is quite famous and there are a few of his books available even in the library here, and a very extremely peaceful man. 
just his, his whole temperament. He, he was um, he's been a monk since he was a little boy, so or he was a novice as a little boy. But he's been conditioned in this um, atmosphere of uh, monastic sort of gentleness and tranquility and and calmness, and so this is this has really a strong effect on a person when they, if they're raised in this environment they have an affinity for it and then they reinforce it with meditation you really see it, it's, not, it's very deep in them, it's a whole manner and it's quite different than what most of us who become monks when we are a lot older have a slightly different manner because we're not instilled with such gentle qualities quite often but um, this venerable Thich Nhat Hanh is very gentle man, very poetic and a peaceful being. And on this occasion, during the Vietnamese War, he was visiting because he, he was leading this uh, movement to try and bring peace to Vietnam. He was one of the, these sort of monks who was not so much in favor of uh, communism or, or mm, Americanism. He was uh, in favor, he wanted peace for Vietnam. So he went to America and he was giving this lecture a talk in a public uh, hall, large gathering. And he was just sitting there giving this talk, or about to give this talk, and somebody in the audience stood up and shouted at him, What are you doing here? Why don't you back in your own home where the war is? There's no war here. You go back and set it straight there. Uh, something like this, but in American, not in Australian. <laughs> Translate that into American probably know more American than I do. Something like that. You know, quite very aggressive, um, challenging, and uh, obviously a lot of emotion and hatred even directed at this man. And of course the people around him got quite, uh, the, the audience got quite stirred up. I mean, some of them were you know, growling at this guy, shut up, sit down. <laughs> some of them were supporting him. Uh, so everything was getting really out of hand. Yeah. Disruption. And Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh, this is what I was told, sat there and just sat there and just took a few breaths. And those of you who uh, know of his teaching, he always talks about breathing, enjoying breathing, being peaceful with the breath. So he just took a few breaths. Breathing in, breathing out. Very gentle, very quiet breathing in. Yeah. Meanwhile, this sort of disruption, and that already said, people just started to settle. Powerful as well. It's not only power is not only aggression or you know, forceful, but also the gentle can be very powerful, very powerful. So to have some confidence in that, to kind of develop it, to use it. And it, quite, it will help most situations. But, yes, there are times and places when that is not appropriate. When a much more forceful stand and much more forceful expression and uh, response may be very necessary. But it must come from mindfulness and wisdom in order to be powerfully effective. So that, that is my, um, my attitude about this, rather than saying, 
Buddhist, you know, you should just have loving kindness, and that means you know, just gentle speech. Gentle. Never, never raise your voice and um, just give everybody what they want. <coughs> I think that's very silly. <coughs> loving kindness is not like that. And uh, loving kindness is accompanied by wisdom anyway. And it's loving kindness towards you as well as towards the other. So, the only sure quality or the quality that must and I think is uh, very important to apply in every situation is mindfulness which helps wisdom function and then we can be sensitive therefore we can decide we can make the decision to respond in the most appropriate way to that time that place that person that unique present moment the problem is most of us are lacking in this mindfulness (laughs) that's the main problem lacking in the mindfulness and therefore the wisdom isn't operating and therefore we are not really sensitive and our response is usually quite habitual and mechanical and we're just caught in a reaction. I think that's all I can say on that that topic. I've stretched it out as much as I can. (laughs) Are there any questions? Follow-up?